Good morning. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. Uh, Fishers, Indiana is a, a small town north of Indianapolis, Indiana. And it's a beautiful fall day here. The temperature is about 50 degrees. And um, we are just about to enter fall here in Indiana. So it's a really neat time of the year. And I would like to welcome all the listeners and thank you for joining the show today and being here and invite you to our future shows. Um, we have a, sh a special guest today who is in Brazil. And uh, we also um, had, had a, a recent show that's going to be uh, online very soon of a guest we had in California and another one from Athens, Greece. So a lot of shows going on. And uh, be, be sure to catch the shows. They're fun and very informative. I uh, would like to also thank uh, the University of Colorado and Colorado Springs, the uh, online radio group. The crew that works at the actually at the bottom of Pikes Peak, literally where the station is, and as station manager Kyle Boyle and all the students there at the University of Colorado, as well as um, the uh, faculty and staff who support the radio shows at UCCS, and many of them have their own shows, and congratulate the staff uh, for winning lots of awards for the one of the top online radio stations in the United States. So. Um, without um, further uh, pauses and delays, I would like to introduce uh, to the listeners a very special guest, and her name is uh, Allison uh, Pacini, and Allison comes to us uh, right now from Brazil, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what's happening in Brazil, actually a lot probably, hopefully, and um, she is um, uh, well-traveled, and we'll find out about that here in a few minutes. Welcome to the show, Allison. Hello, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, um, we're going to start off, if you just would perhaps tell us uh, a little bit about uh, where you're actually from. Um, I'm from the UK. I was born in the UK. I was adopted into a British family as a baby, but my heritage is of Southeast Asian descent. I call myself British because that's where I grew up. Um, I hold a UK passport. But, you know, it confuses a lot of people when they ask me where I'm from because I do not typically look British and my last name is Italian. So, you know, it does confuse a lot of people and there's a huge story that I explain to people about where I'm from. But I'm from Britain. I call myself British. So, Alison, can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, or a lot, hopefully, about uh, your travels, where you have uh, traveled, uh, some places that you've traveled over your uh, career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, how many countries have you visited? Um, I've visited over 50 countries now. I became interested in travel, I think, as a young child. When I realized I was adopted, um, I was very interested in my mother's background, her life, it seems so far away from England and Southeast Asia. Um, and I think, you know, I've been searching for identity. I traveled over to Southeast Asia, having done one year in Egypt. Um, I decided to go to Vietnam, um, situate myself in Ho Chi Minh City and teach there. 
And I spent four wonderful years traveling the whole of Southeast Asia and other parts of Asia. Uh, I visited the Philippines once and, you know, that was such a, had a, such a huge impact on me, realizing how my mother would have struggled to raise a child, a baby, by herself there with no money, no family support. And that really hit home and it made me feel so grateful and privileged. And it really inspired me to find out about other cultures, other countries. And so now, yes, I can say that I visited over 50 countries, partly with friends and interests, um, and partly to really kind of immerse myself in, in cultures. I think recently I was in Cuba. Um, it's been such a secret, uh, not so much been published. I really wanted to go there and find out for myself what was there and how, how interesting people's beliefs about life were. I met some, I've met some very interesting people along the way in my travels across the world. Now, what about uh, Cuba? What was the surprise there that kind of surprised you about the country itself? Because there are a lot of stereotypes, right, about Cuba. Yes, there are huge stereotypes about Cuba. Um, and one thing that really struck me was about how people cope um, their banking styles and the way that they earn money and live. And, and, and live. I budgeted a certain amount of money per day, and it surprised me that the amount of my budget, I tried to live very simply when I travel, was how much people were earning in a month. And yet their souls were alive. They made the most of their situations, and they, they accepted and appreciated life. Um, and I think for me, sometimes I face so much difficulty and challenge, and I've lost that sense of appreciation sometimes. And when I travel to these places, it really makes me take a step back and look at the simple things in life that can make my life so enriched and so purposeful. It's amazing. Now, when you uh, talked about the, the salaries in Cuba, wasn't it like, it seems to me like it was like 30, 25 or 30 kooks per month. Is that correct? Wasn't that what it was? Right. Which, That's right, yes, I, spoke, I, I was bathing on the beach and I spoke to uh, a man there, a couple of people who actually were qualified doctors, but they told me that they earned more salaries, higher salaries in places like hotels where they get their basic salary, but then they get tips off people. But yes, this, this, this particular man on the beach, he was telling me that he gets 30 cook a day, uh, sorry, 30 cook a month. Um, which, which, which is, is when you convert that into the, the Cuban peso, comes out to about um, 750 Cuban pesos a month. But that's, that, that doesn't buy you very much. You know, that's very little buying power. But, it, but it's still very little it's, it, uh, it, when you think about the, the cost of things in Cuba. Uh, so... Uh, what about the the people? Now you mentioned about uh, you were interested in the people. They 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 were very kind people, right? Very nice, kind people. And uh, did that surprise you any or not? No, it didn't surprise me as such. Um, I was the thing that surprised me was just the way that they accepted that this was the way that life is for them and they were making the most of their life. I think these people came from very solid family backgrounds 
and they help each other out. And I think there's a strong relationship as well between friends as well. You know, they accept that this is the way that their life is and they appreciate the, the people that they meet as well. Now, where well, did, how did you get interested in culture in the first place? Uh, uh, culture is such a kind of an interesting word uh, when we think of uh, culture. What, do, what does that mean when you think of culture, if you were to define it? Culture to me is the way people live their life based on their beliefs and their experiences and the way they allow people to infiltrate into their life and, and build relationships. I think I became interested in culture. Um, the way that I was brought up in the UK was very much based upon money and what money could buy me and how privileged I was and how my family had done a huge amount of um, things for me as I grew up. Um, and yet, when I look at culture and I look at my mother, my biological mother, and look at her culture and think how her life has had very little money, very little influence on financial input, education and healthcare, yet her life seemed very enriched with her family, her basic living, um, and how appreciated and how happy and her inspirations for life was so, were so much almost greater than mine. And I think that's why, that's to me how culture is interesting, how we all have different beliefs in life and different beliefs after life. And the way that the family values are so different from my experience throughout um, the countries I visited. It's very interesting. So, now your family then is still in the UK, right? The UK, right? Is that correct? That's correct. My adoptive family is mm -hmm. in the UK, yes. And so, my father, my adoptive father, actually has a very interesting background himself. He's, he comes from an Italian background. His mother emigrated to England, and then there was the Second World War. She came as quite a rich person. She bought a business, a cafe, I think, or a restaurant. It was bombed during the, the, the war, and she ended up with nothing. And she ended up in... Um, she lived her life, she raised her two boys in a one-bedroom bedsit um, and just, you know, doing whatever job she could do. And I think, you know, that shapes people. That's what shapes people's cultures and mindsets and beliefs. Sometimes they, they're happy, sometimes, you know, people become very bitter with their life's experiences. So, did... Um your studies then were where at then? Where did you do your studies? At, in the UK then? In uh, the university there or what? Yes, I studied university um, in England. I've been to several universities. I, I did my undergrad in, I'm at a college in Oxford. Then I moved to Bristol where I did my move from my science background into education. And it's in Bristol that I did my postgraduate certificate education and allowed me to become a teacher and then when I um, was progressing through different schools gaining different skills and teaching different age ranges and different needs that is when my the school that I was teaching at, at the time they invited me to join a master's program and that's where I studied 
in more depth the special educational needs, um, being able to differentiate for different children who found studying dif difficult for many different reasons. So you're teaching positions in focused in, in special ed pretty much, right? And, uh, and I have this background, yes. I, um, what, since being overseas, I've not done much special ed or teaching English second language. I've been, just been immersing myself in different cultures that my international students bring. So, but like now in Brazil, in Brasilia, this is an elementary school, correct? Or, uh, I think. Yes. So, this is an elementary school. It's from two to ten-year-olds currently. Now, what are you teaching there, then? I'm teaching the British curriculum. So I'm teaching math, English, um, an understanding of the world, technology. So it's a British school, then, right? This is a British school. It, mm -hmm. It's not. It's based on the British curriculum, but we are very sensitive towards the culture, the culture here, and helping. You know, trying to immerse the children and connect them with their culture here, as well as teaching them with the British curriculum in English. Now, is the um, uh, the school then when they, the classes are in English? Do they also study Portuguese? Yes, they. Um, my children, they're very young. They only have two classes of Portuguese a week, and that will only be 30 minutes. Um, my children are very young. Some of them are three, some of them are four. And so they, their language in Portuguese and in English is very short sentences, as you can imagine. You know, they're still learning the, the skill of speaking in Portuguese. Yeah, three, in English. three or four years old. That's, that's a busy day. <laughs> that's... <laughs> They never stop, right? Those kids, they have incredible energy, don't they? They do. Yes. Um, they work very hard. They have lunch. Um, and then after lunch, they will have um, a 60-minute rest period where we read stories, we share songs, um, they relax. Now that's, they do have a, a, a time where they can, they can reflect on their day and regain their energy for the afternoon. So their parents and work... In Brasilia, right? I assume they have jobs there in business, etc., and government. That's right. Brasilia is a big center for where the diplomat, the diplomats are, the government officials. Um, I noticed that a lot of my children's parents work for the government; they're diplomats themselves. I have a few parents as well who are consultants uh, in working in the medical field. Uh -huh. Now, what's and the yeah, that's got to be exciting. What's the population in Brasilia? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, I wish I did know. Um, I, I don't think there's that many people here. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting interesting city. It's it, I think it's quite big, but it's very sprawled out. Um, I haven't managed to do as much research about the city as I hope to have done so far. I still I've been here for six weeks. I still feel like I'm settling in. It's been a very fast settling in period. I was here for a week before I started going into work, um, and then the school year kicked off. It's been a very busy period. Yeah. Now, do you have? Uh, are you uh, practicing your Portuguese then, or learning it, or do you have? You're trying to pick it up. You know, there's an app that I'm using on my phone called Duolingo. Um, from time to time, I go on the app 
from time to time I go on YouTube and I try to do the basic lessons there. And of course, you know, when I go from in Ubers and I try to practice my Portuguese, there are similarities between Portuguese and Spanish, which does help. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult to find the time. I should, I should put more time. You know, after my day, I'm so tired. And I think the best way to learn a language is to actually go out and speak to... Right. The, the people on the street, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Well, yeah. so these uh, three and four year old kids, and are they there all day? Then, pretty much, like it's an all day school, pretty much. That's right. They come in at eight o'clock. We start school at eight thirty, and then they leave school at three thirty. Next week, then we start an extra curricular program, and then some of them will stay to four thirty. <laughs> so it's a very long day for them. Traditionally, for the Brazilian schools. I think they do a morning session or an afternoon session. So, you know, the school, it's an all day. Now, how long, how, uh, so how long do the cl classes go? Do they, you have little units of classes, like their math is in an hour block or something, or, or is it just kind of very flexible? Um, I think with my three and four-year-olds, I have a very flexible day. I start teaching between 8.30 and then we go all the way to 10.30. So it's my two hours. And in that two hours, I generally, um, I do little activities that, that helps them with communication, mm -hmm. turn-taking, math, um, counting, singing songs, movement. And then they will have recess. And then I, when they come in at 11 o'clock, between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock, that's when I teach them the phonics and a little bit of reading, writing, letter formation, and then after lunch, that's when they will do more arty. So, I don't know, you know, most of my lessons, even teaching the math um, and learn, understanding the world, I try to make it creative and so that they're, you know, then making things and bringing out the language. At this age, everything is connected. You know, there's so, no set math lessons, there's no set English lessons and such. So how many... Uh... How many students do you have in a class? I'm very lucky. I only have 14 students in my class. Well, I don't um, know. That's quite a few for three and three to three to five years. That's, that's got to be busy. We, we have... It is, it is busy, yeah. But my, I'm used to having classes that are 24. We have a granddaughter who is um, three and a half years old, and she never stops. And then our and uh, the, and her brother is uh, five years old, five a little over five. He never stops. And the energy level is astounding. Now, our other grandson, who is now seven, has calmed down a little. You know, <laughs> they, they do they do slow down a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, they do. They uh, do. And such a huge contrast. Last year, I was teaching ten and eleven year olds. And I was using the International Baccalaureate, the IB curriculum. And it's, it's very different to the British curriculum. Um, but, you know, I love it. I love the difference. You know, for me, I love change. I love teaching my 10 and 11-year-olds last year. And I love teaching my three to four-year-olds this year. It keeps me on my toes. It keeps well, me alive. Well, and, and you don't get any boredom going, right? I mean, it's just very new, new, new things all the time. Um, so, um, so far Brazil is a country, is there anything that really has struck you about the culture there and uh, that maybe you didn't think was it, it a little different, maybe it wasn't than your 
uh, preconception of it was? Um, so for me, I come from various different countries, Vietnam, Egypt, you know, developing countries, but they've had very good healthcare systems. And one thing I've noticed about Brazil is the health, the system here, that I think they provide very good healthcare, but I think there's so much bureaucracy here to actually get treatment. Um, I found myself in the hospital three, three or four weeks ago, and I didn't feel that there was any sense of urgency. I was very shocked, you know, I have, I'm very lucky to have private, private medical care here, but, you know, it, I, I waited around for quite some time before I could see a doctor, um, and I considered it quite urgent, but, you know, I've repeatedly been told that this is the way the healthcare system here, so yes, it was a huge surprise to find that, you know, you wait your turn, whether you have money or not, you wait your turn, there's one doctor for so many people. Yeah, that's so, what surprised me here. It surprised me here too that English is not spoken more as well. That surprises me. So, yeah, I, I noticed that when I visited Rio uh, once that the, the English wasn't, I mean, there was a little bit, but not much. And I, 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 I was rather surprised. I thought, well, it's a big tourist city. There'll be a lot of English. There wasn't a lot of English and. When the people knew that you could say a little bit in Portuguese, then they would just keep going. You know, they didn't seem to want to even bother with English. You know, so that that was a, a, an interesting thing. Um, how about their interest in soccer? It's really heavy, right? The soccer fans. I yes, I, I believe so, but I've not seen much of it. I've not felt the culture alive in Brasilia where I'm living at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm completely oblivious to any kind of football culture here in Brasilia. Now, how is the um, how is the uh, food in Brasilia that you've tried so far? Are you happy with the food? I love the food here. Um, I've been to several restaurants and I've eaten some lovely um, food. They tend to do big spreads of food and you can go and you pick whatever you want to eat. You put on the plate. And they weigh your plate and you, you pay for what's on your plate. Um, I mean, it's interesting to go into the supermarkets here. There seems to be a lot of gluten-free, lactose-free. You know, in the UK, it's very difficult to go to, to any find restaurant. Yes. Free, but it seems to be very well marketed here. So yeah. that, so what kind of food, What do, what's the favorite food for you there? What's some of the, what are some of the foods? Um, so they eat a lot of rice and beans, which surprises me. Um, but you know, they, that's not as a staple. I, the avocados here, they're huge. They're like the size of rugby balls. They're so delicious. Um, so I eat those every single day. There's something called the pao de queijo, which is like this lovely little bread, which has got melted cheese inside. Mm -hmm. They're very famous here, yeah, very great. Um, and then they've got these other little pies. I forget the name in Portuguese, but they're pies, again, that has either spicy meat inside or cheese, um, spicy vegetables, delicious, really they're, delicious. They're kind of like empanadas, right? A little bit. That's right. That's yes, right. I, 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 I recall those. They were delicious. Yes, very good. They have been, I, I recall my visit, and it was very good food, right? I mean, 
pretty excellent food by and large. Mm -hmm. It was, it was quite good. Um, so I noticed that you had mentioned, um, uh, that you are going to be going to the Amazon region, right? Uh, is that correct? Yes. Over to, uh, in four weeks time, I'm going to Manaus. Um, and then I'm going on a boat and heading up into the Amazon to see some wildlife um, and see some tribes, see how the local people might live there. Well, you, that will be very interesting. The, um, there is, in Manaus, there's that, uh, they had a famous opera house there. I think it may still be there. It's one of the classic buildings in Brazil. It used to be. And then... Um, the jungle area is always interesting. That's another uh, that, that that will be that will be eye opening. I'm sure you know to see the some of the jungle and things. Um, uh, so um, now, when are you going to be doing that? When are you going to do your Amazon trip? So that's in four weeks' time. I have four weeks left of school, and then I get one week break holiday. And so a colleague, um, a good friend of mine. We're traveling up there together. Yeah, very excited about it. Oh, that'd be nice. Yes, and then uh, uh, the Christmas season there is—is is that similar to uh, Europe and the United States, or is it different? So the Christmas time—it's summertime here in South America. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it's very exciting. Um, I'm not sure what my plans for Christmas are. I will have four weeks off at Christmas. Usually, I only get two or three. At the moment, I'm thinking I may travel into Argentina or Chile. Yes, and it's so close, right? I mean, you're right there, practically, right? I mean, it's very yeah. near, near, and you can you can see, uh, uh, especially Buenos Aires and Santiago, right? The very interesting places. Um, so um, now, when you say it's summer there, is that um, now are the seasons reversed? Then is that what it is? I think so, yes. Um, or is it like the winter. spring? Is it like the spring there coming up? Or, or Yes, I, I guess it's like very spring-like here. I think where I live in Brazil is such a huge country, but when, where I live in Brasilia, we don't have defined seasons. I think it stays pretty warm much of the year round. We will enter into a wet season in late September, October. And then mm -hmm. I think... Around about November, December, January, February, summer, where it gets really hot. And I think there's some rains too. The winter months are June, July, June, July, August. And I, you know, the winter, it just gets a bit colder. It's like 23 mm -hmm. degrees, but very dry. Uh huh. Now, how many but languages do you, how many languages do you speak? Um, I speak very little Italian. I speak a little bit more Spanish, um, and I speak a little bit of French too. I would really, my Spanish is probably the most. I'm please do not speak to me in Spanish and embarrass me on the radio because I will not be able to have a conversation so, with you. So, so this um, language study and culture study, why do you think that's important for young people? I mean, and, and you certainly have traveled to 50 countries and. Why is that important for the students today to be thinking about traveling more? And maybe they should put that in their, their agenda, right? Yes, um, I think these days, you know, with technology, we can connect with people all around the world. 
um, it's amazing these days, and travel as well has became has become such a huge thing. And I regret that I don't speak another language and so I communicate. I think these days we can connect to people around the world so easily now. So it's so easy. But I think one of the things that is holding us back um, in our understanding of different cultures and really empathizing with people is the lack of ability to speak different languages with people. And I think that to be able to speak different languages, when I look at my nephew's curriculum now, they have Japanese, they have Chinese, they have Spanish. And I think it's wonderful, you know, if we really are going to connect to people, not just through technology and travel, that really learning languages is going to connect us closer to each other, having a better understanding and hopefully moving towards a more peaceful world. Yeah, I, I truly do believe that learning a language and not just depending on other people to learn English, it's the way forward, certainly. Now, what about creativity? You, you've taught in a lot of different situations. What makes some teachers a lot more creative than other teachers? What 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 is there about creative teachers there all teachers are not creative there are some that are highly creative and some aren't what what makes the yeah. teacher creative um i think creativity you know is the ability to immerse the students um in authentic and relevant meaningful experiences and i think if you do not have the ability to really understand your students and know what makes them tick and want to learn then, you know, it's going to be hard. And so I think a creative teacher is somebody who can look at their students, look at their resources, look at, delve deep into the, their backgrounds and quickly get to learn about their students. That's what makes a creative teacher, a teacher who is able to make a situation become alive based on the students' interests um, and what, they use the resources to learn. It's about making connections. It's about being able to do that quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what teachers have inspired you the most that you studied with? You have one teacher that really inspired you in school that, that was just outstanding. Um, you know, I thought about that question a lot. And to be honest, I was never really a happy student at school. I didn't have a good time at school. I felt, although I was really smart and I could achieve my grades, I felt very singled out. I felt like my teachers didn't understand me. I felt very lonely. And, you know, I maybe I was thinking about it, maybe my chemistry teacher, as it happened, um, she understood me. She gave a very calm classroom. And I think I really excelled in chemistry. But to be honest, I never really had one single teacher that made me feel like I succeeded. I just felt like I I could be doing better. That um, That's an interesting... Yeah, that, that's an interesting, I, interesting comment. I wonder... And there, I suspect there's quite a few people that went through the process of education and maybe didn't have a teacher. Maybe there weren't, you know, that maybe really inspired the, the way they could have. You know, that's uh, that may be more common sometimes than we think. Uh, and we hope that, 
you know, that when, when we talk about creativity and these things that uh, we can get that motivation idea and right the, for students. Um, so what about teaching? What's what, what needs to be improved about it? What do you think could be improved that we could improve in teaching? You know, with your level of, for example, your level of students that you've seen as you traveled around and taught in different places. What what are some of these um, things that we could improve on? I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who were designing curriculums, who were designing programs. Um, and I sometimes I don't think they think about individual students and what they need. And I, so I, I, you know, I think a lot of pressure was put on teachers to to develop curriculums and to deliver curriculums. And I think it can be improved by taking a step back and trusting the teachers that they can provide an enriched classroom and a, um, wonderful experiences without going through and making them check boxes. Have you done this? Well, Have you done this? Have you done that? And, yes, an excellent point. And I think that we have gotten, and I, I totally agree with what you just said, I think we've gotten into this habit, probably all over the world, of, as you said, checking lists, check, 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 and uh, not letting teachers be creative sometimes and maybe be more uh, uh, risk takers, let's say, where they can risk take. Uh, and it's an art. Teaching is an art. And when you think that the teacher is like an artist, really, then they should be. And when they make their plans and things, but if they don't have the opportunity uh, to be creative and, or they have to end up checking things off all the time and not being creative and having time to explore and, and risk take and do things um, to create things in a way, you know, to create this environment in the classroom uh, of uh, creativity, openness and all kinds of things. Uh, maybe there, there's a great, yes, there needs to be a lot of improvement, right, in, in that particular area. And, and certainly all, all levels of instruction, you know, not just elementary, but high school, middle school, college, a lot of that uh, where we, the teacher teaches for the enjoyment of teaching, right? And uh, right. for helping the kids, not for just checklist, right? Or there are teachers who, uh, that I've known over the years that just teach for their, their, their final outcome. You know, the, obser the observation by the administrator or the evaluation by students, et cetera, et cetera. So that teaching becomes, uh, it should be more open, right, and, and more free for everybody. That, that's an excellent point. Um, so um, then there's the, the issue of technology. Uh, is, is technology really prevalent there where you're at? I mean, there's it just, there's a little bit and the kids use it a little bit, or is it really massive technology? Um, I have an interactive whiteboard in my classroom, um, and the, ch the children love it. It's very visual, and it provides them with, with skills. You know, they can, they can do all kinds of now, learning, this, have the, all kinds of learning experiences this, using this. Yeah, this is like I, a smart board. Is that what it is? A smart board? Yeah, it's a smart board, mm -hmm. basically. Okay. And it, this is one of the top one, top range. And the, the kids love it. But sometimes I think 
that actually it I do see its value, but I think that a child needs to have a range of opportunities to learn. There is no single way to learn anything. And I think as teachers, I must tune into how each child learns best. I must look at their strengths and their, their weaknesses and try to define them as individuals and try to help them develop skills, not just in any one way, not just being dependent on technology. That, uh, Te- yeah. All think that technology is our future, <laughs> yeah. but we don't know that. We don't know that it may not come that, to a standstill. Yeah. That goes uh, hand in hand with what uh, a recent guest that I had, Christine Campbell, uh, who uh, used to uh, teach at the Defense Institute in Monterey in California. And uh, she uh, said pretty much the same thing in a different way, but um, that um, we have to address the needs of the learners, right? Which are all different, right? And their learning styles, they're all different. And... uh, and it reminds me of uh, Howard Gardner's book on multiple intelligences. Do you remember that book? Um, That's right, yeah. Uh, but anyway, where he talks about multiple intelligences and uh, those particular intelligences, I think there were eight of them, something like that. And he stresses that if we use some of these, that we reach the needs of the kids because all their learning is different. So we may have somebody interested in sports in the class. We've got somebody who likes music. We have a poet in the class a mathematician in the class, a computer uh, guru in the class. So, as you said, just by doing all these things, uh, all these different activities, one gives everybody a chance, right, to the learning styles, right? It it addresses all those learning styles. And yet, there are some people that I know that teach, most of the people pretty much, I think, try to address the learning styles, but... There are some people that get involved in the technology all the time, you know, that it becomes the main thing. And I think uh, to a point, uh, we have to keep the human element there too, right? You know, where there's actual live communication with the kids. And uh, one of the interesting things about it now, there are people who talk about the, the use of the, the phones, the smartphones, etc., and that... Uh, we are not listening and not communicating with each other because we're always online, you know, with our phones or our iPads or whatever. And uh, you know, there's no time to communicate So uh, with, with people live. So it, it is an interesting uh, thought. Um, what about teachers just starting out? Do you have any ideas that you would recommend for them that are just starting? So, yeah, I, I think... If they're just starting out, they must be very clear their intentions and objectives of why they want to be a teacher. Um, I would like to suggest trust your student, provide them with autonomy and a voice that you're going to listen to. Let your students have take control and allow yourself to stand back and watch the learning take place. Get in touch with your own dreams and your fears of when you were learning and really try to empathize with your students. Um, because a lot of students can be switched off quite quickly, and they can be scared of coming into the classroom. Um, and that's not what we want. We want them to, and life, not just schools provide learning. Life is learning, is all about learning. Um, and it's important, you know, teachers have to accept 
that we're all, everybody is unique, everybody has a special gift, and it's about bringing out the best in students. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Allison, thank you so much for being on the show. Just incredible observations about teaching. We appreciate that very much for sharing your thoughts about teaching, your thoughts on Brazil, travel, and uh, uh, I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy this, the, the listening again to the show for your ideas. So they were beautiful ideas. Now, um, I'm going to um, uh, say goodbye here and uh, for a second, and then I'll get back to you, but we're going to close the show out uh, with the song of Alejandro Fernandez, same song we had at the beginning. And uh, uh, listeners, be sure to listen to the other shows that we have coming up. And we have uh, some uh, neat shows coming up uh, very soon. And we're going to try to have some live shows from the language conferences uh, that, that we're going to be going to in the fall. So uh, keep updated. And that's uh, radioucs.edu. Thank you all for being here. And everybody have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, hasta pronto and uh, au revoir and, uh, in Portuguese. It is. Como se dice? <laughs> it, oh, in Portuguese, they might just say uh, ciao. Just ciao. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. ciao. Okay. And everybody have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.